I was posting on Instagram and I was posting all this stuff. So they basically were like, look, you have to have your content reviewed before you post it because you're posting on behalf of us and we need to review it. And I thought about that. I was like, you know, it's pretty interesting. Nobody reviews my cases. Right. <laughs> right. right. Like, oh, you practice law. We don't care. Do that. You're. And that's where you can cause millions of dollars of damage. But oh, you can put something on Instagram. That's got to go through like six right. people. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode, The Defense Never Rests. I am your host, Megan Henry. And today I have on Mike Elkins. Uh, and Mike is a labor and employment attorney, but I had I had asked Mike to come on because he has his own podcast. He runs his own law firm, MLE Law, um, and he really puts himself out there on LinkedIn and all these social media channels. So I, I kind of just wanted to pick his brain about his process, um, and he's just a fun guy to talk to. So with that, let's bring him in. Good morning, Michael. Thank you so much for coming on Defense of Rest. I'm so happy to have you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So. I'm excited to chat with you because you also have, have a podcast. So we, I want to kind of dive into that a little bit too, but before we do, um, you know, everyone I have on, I tend to ask them about how they got to where they are, are now. Um, because I find the story so interesting. Everyone ends up where they are for a variety of different reasons. Um, but you're a practicing attorney and everyone has a different story of why they decided to become an attorney. So, you know, what, what's your story? How did you decide that you wanted to go to law school and how did you end up in this practice area that you're in now? Well, that's, um, so we're going to go back away. Yeah, we're then. going back. Let's we're going back. <laughs> um, you know, I kind of always thought being a lawyer would be a cool thing. So I, I came from a family like my immediate parent, my nuclear family or my parents they didn't go to college. Right. But there are people on my dad's side of the family that did nobody on my mom's side. So, I mean, education was stressed, but not stressed enough. And I was kind of a stupid kid who <laughs> was immature and did a bunch of dumb stuff and um, I was like, yeah, I think I could be a lawyer, but I really had no, um, I hadn't, I did not have the maturity to understand, okay, you got to like, get a, you know, get into a good law school. You got to do well in high school. So I didn't do any of those things. Right. So I was kind of an idiot and did pretty terrible in high school. And then I don't know, by the grace of God, got into a college, a four-year college. I, I still, to this day, I'm like, how, how did that happen? pretty pathetic um and then still didn't learn in college and did pretty terrible in college um and so i graduated college and i get a job i get a job working as an assistant manager at abercrombie and fitch in the mall i hate that job right i hate it i'm depressed because i was like i was a lot of fun in college so i didn't do well but yeah, I was president of my fraternity and I did homecoming and Greek week and like all the things. Right. So like I had like a whole thing going there. And then when you graduate college, that that ends. Right. That's mm-hmm. over. Like you're you're nobody. Now you're just the old creepy guy that comes around the fraternity house. And I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. So I'm an assistant manager. I know this is a long story, but it kind of all plays. No, I like it. it. Keep going. And I hate <laughs> the job. And so and this kind of ties into being a labor and employment lawyer. Right. I hate the job and I do, I do a terrible job and I am appropriately fired <laughs> quickly. And, you know, most people, when they get fired, right. They, I've never met anybody actually who's been like, Oh yeah, I totally should have been fired. That's never happened in my life. 
and maybe it hasn't happened to listeners, but I'm telling you like 100% I deserved to be fired. So now I'm, I wasn't for anything nefarious. I would just like show up late. I wouldn't yeah. like fold the shirts at the end of the night. I'd leave the store a mess because I didn't care. And they fired yeah. me. Um, so now I'm an unemployed college grad with a poli sci degree and really no prospects of anything yeah. exciting. So I get a job waiting tables. I go back. I was working at Home Depot through college. So I go back to Home Depot. So I'm working at Home Depot and I'm waiting tables, which, by the way, were are both great pursuits. But I was like, wow, like I graduated college. Like what happened? <laughs> so I say, you know what? I'm going to take the LSAT because why not? I, I got to do something. And I always wanted to be a lawyer. And I realized, obviously, I'm not going to go to Harvard. That's not happening. Um, I take the LSAT and I do pretty decent, actually, not bad. And by the grace of God, I get into law school. I still don't really know how that happened either, but I got in. So I became a lawyer really out of necessity, right? Like, I mean, it's something I had thought about doing when I was younger, but didn't, again, took no action to actually do that because I was a dumb, immature kid and I didn't have any guidance. And that's my fault, right? That's not I'm sure I could have done better in high school. Plenty of plenty of kids do, right? Plenty of kids have that maturity. I was stupid. Um, so in the younger letter to my younger self, right? It's, you know, you probably should like take some stuff more seriously. So it was out of necessity. And I figured this, this would make sense for me. I could always, you know, pretty logical, but I kind of just needed to do something. And law school seemed like a smart move of, it seemed like the first smart move in a series of really stupid moves. <laughs> and then finally, when I got into law school, I finally said, OK, you're here. You know, I went to St. Thomas University and God bless them. I love that place. I got a great education. I, I really did. But look, it is what it is. It's a fourth tier law school. That's what it is. So the job opportunities are going to be limited unless yeah. you're at the top of your class. It, I'm not knocking the school. I'm just, I live in reality. I'm a mm -hmm. litigator, so I have to live in reality. I'm not here to say, oh, well, the rankings are stupid. Look, they are what they are. Yeah. So I knew, all right, you're here. You got into an accredited law school. You, you better do well because, you know, you, you're not going to get another chance. This is it. And so I hunkered down and uh, by the grace of God, well, this time by hard work, I did really well you know, and was able to participate in the on-campus interview process and do all of that stuff, you know, the law review, yeah. and all the things, right. And got the grades and all that good stuff. And I got a job at a boutique now, a now no longer in existence boutique, uh, sort of silk stocking firm that was called Muller Mints, which was a labor and employment management firm. I don't know how I got that job. I had no idea what labor and employment was. I didn't know labor and unions and all that. But I remember the interview process clear as day. And I and that was a that was a life-changing moment. I met um, some people that would be part of my life for the last 20 odd years of this ride. And um, so people always say, Oh, how did you get labor and employment law? Like, how did you pick that? I didn't pick anything. What are you talking about? Pick. <laughs> I, I got an offer and I took it. <laughs> yeah, I got a summer clerkship and, and I took it. And it just got happened to be that it was employment law, which is tremendous. It was just all. I mean, I guess they say stars align. I don't know if that's true. Um, and I actually got that job, that offer, because I I remember there was on-campus interviewing and I did a bunch of that. But there was a lot of law firms that wouldn't interview at my right. school because we're just bottom school, right? So they'd go to UM, they'd go to Florida, they'd go to Florida State. 
And then I was at St. Thomas and there was a kind of a companion fourth tier school, Nova. Some would go and some wouldn't. So I remember sitting in the law review office like late with, you know, this is 1998 or 99 or whatever year it was. And like labeling envelope after envelope and sending <laughs> mass amounts of um, resumes and stuff out. And that's how I got this interview was by sending in a, yep. a cover letter and a resume and a writing sample. So I do the summer clerkship. It's really hard, right? It's not, <laughs> I mean, I had, I was like, remember getting papers back, like dripping red ink. And, you know, I think I messed something up. I was like, what? I, I didn't think I did anything right. And I distinctly remember this coming back after the summer to the, like we had a law review meeting before I think the third year started. Yeah, because you do the summer clerkship. I don't remember what year it was. But my, my best friend, who I'm still friends with to this day, and I practice law with, comes up to me. He's like, how'd it go this summer? We weren't best friends then, but we were pretty tight. We both did really well. And so we were kind of friendly competitors for grades and stuff, although he always did a little bit better than I did. Um, he comes up to me. He's like, how did your clerkship go? Like, what happened? I was like, ah, oh, no way I'm getting an offer. Like, it was terrible. <laughs> I sucked. I couldn't do anything right. But I was like very like humble about it. And, you know, it was finally had like some maturity. I was like, look, I learned a lot and it was a great experience. And so I'll know it, it'll I'll carry that experience with me. And then I got an offer. I was like, what? <laughs> so I got an offer. I was like, oh, that's great. And that's I ended up working for this team that I would end up working with for a very long time, not initially at that firm. Um, I would only be there a short amount of time, actually, because I'm entrepreneurial. I kind of didn't know that at the time, but um, I would end up going back to work with them. And my mentor was on that team. And that's a whole separate conversation. But that's how it started. I got the offer. I mean, I didn't pick labor and employment, but I did love it. I knew even if I didn't work at that firm, I was going to do employment law. Um, yeah. So that's I mean. I feel like that's such the case for, I mean, it was the case for me, like when I was yeah. graduating law school, um, you know, I was just going to take anything that I could get, you know, the, right. the market was so bad at that time. Like the, oh. I graduated at a time that a lot of people, that's when they were cutting the big law salaries and people weren't like starting and it was a yeah. whole issue. So I graduated and I, I had a summer clerkship and that firm that summer decided we can't take on our, our summers. So oh. I was like, so like that whole thing that you're like, shit, like in at least they didn't tell me it had to do with my work product. Maybe it did, but they didn't hire any of us. Oh, then you're okay. <laughs> so, then you're okay. So yeah. maybe we all sucked or they really truly didn't have a position, but then you're like, you're starting again at point zero, having mm -hmm. to look for a job. And then the job market tanked. So I, for the first year, I just did like, um, contract review like con I was a contract attorney and did like document review yeah and talk about something that like just will defeat you because it like you at the time I felt like I was you were treated as like a second third class citizen like if they could put you dart like further in the basement they would like yeah <laughs> it's not what you envisioned right when you went to law school no. like sitting there reviewing documents oh no and thankfully i like i tried to i mean i utilized every single portion of my network i could and did the same thing you did i was like sending out you know hard copies of resumes you know sticking the labels on them yeah. talking to every single person i knew from my college to like introduce me to other lawyers in the area so i could mm -hmm. get in front of people and it took a year and i ended up oh, in litigation wow. yeah oh yeah 
And I ended up in litigation because that was the only jobs out there. Like when I went to law school, I thought, oh, I'm going to go into like realist. I don't know what I was going to do. I thought I was going to contract or patent law. I, I was all over the place. Yeah. But when it boiled down to it, the jobs were litigation. <laughs> so that's why I'm in litigation. And I always wanted to do litigation when I started. I knew that. Like I knew I wanted to be in court. I didn't understand what that meant before I went to law school. I didn't understand that like in federal court, you're actually not really in court. Um, <laughs> although ironically, that's my favorite place to be now is federal court. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so it worked out. That's an interesting, I, I didn't have that issue because when I was job hunting or in the mix, it was like the heyday. It was before it was pre nine 11 and it mm. was, you know, the heyday of, and, and I didn't get a big, I didn't go to a big firm. I, my, the firm I went to ended up getting gobbled up by a big firm shortly thereafter and was kind of considered like big firmish. In fact, I tell people the firm I started with was very much like the firm in the movie, The Firm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what it was like. And there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. They had tremendously high turnover from associates. I mean, it was just a hard place to work. So it was kind of like a badge of honor if you survived there and made it through and that they liked you. So that felt pretty good. But um, that was pre the big law crash. Yeah. Right. And that, that's like when I got out. Right. Um, so, you know, did you I, I, I noticed this, too, in law school that go, going into law, going into law school, having not being not straight from college, I think works to your advantage. Cause I think you're, you take it a little bit more seriously. It's not an extension of the fun. Um, yeah. and I think you just come in with a little bit of more of a work ethic. Like I, I had the same thing. I had a three-year break and while I, I, I probably should have had a little more fun than I did, but I knew how much it was costing. <laughs> And I knew how important it was to get a job and look how it worked out. Anyway, I came out without a job anyway, but, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's why I should have had more fun. But, you know, I, I just felt like that, you know, some of my other friends who came straight from college had a different, like they approached it a little bit differently and they're all equally as, you know, plenty successful yes. and stuff, but they probably had way more fun than I did in law school. So I actually came, I did end up going right from college there was so my I didn't have like a couple of year break. So okay. my kind of crash and burn after college was that was a very like, I guess, precipitous fall. Oh, that, okay. Was that the right word? Like it was quick. <laughs> so I graduated college. I took this job at so you, I graduated in May and I was in law school by August. But in between oh, there, I was quickly fired from the assistant manager at Abercrombie and Fitch job because I was, again, terrible at it. I mean, I'm so bad at that job. And um, <laughs> then I went and got a job waiting tables, took the LSAT and then right to law school. So I didn't, it didn't have the break, but I had enough fun in college, <laughs> right? Like I had to do what I, I could not screw this up because I had no fallback. I didn't have, my parents were not going to be able to assist me. We just didn't, that's not the, my family was not capable of that. We're more of a blue collar family. And, um, I didn't have any, I had no other, I had no backup plan, right there. I, if I didn't, if it didn't work yeah. out, you know, I, I didn't know what I would do because I had a political science degree and nobody told me, maybe I should have looked it up. Cause again, I was lazy. So it's my fault <laughs> that, you know, that degree is kind of worthless from a practical standpoint. Um, 
And if I had known I was going to go to law school and I had done some research and been smart and, you know, taken any semblance of like my own action, I would have realized it doesn't matter what your major is. Just take something where you can really excel Mm -hmm. and that'll help you. But I did none of those things. So it was (laughs) I I had no choice but to make the best make this work. That was it. And but luckily I knew that. Luckily, when I got there, I was like, look, you you can't be. And it was in Miami. Right. So there's all the temptations. Right. And all these guys are going out to South Beach and I I couldn't do any of that stuff. I had to hunker down and study and do all the things. So, yeah, uh, I there was. But I did notice those that came that were in my class that took some time off were in the real world a little bit and then went to law school were significantly more focused for sure. Yeah. I remember we had some people who like were practicing doctors who decided we had one of those yeah which i was like really like i i'm impressed super impressed but i was like you went through all of that and you just wanted to come and do more like but now they're you know (laughs) we (laughs) had like ultra successful but we had two of them we had two of them and they weren't shy about telling you that they were doctors which was (laughs) it was great so fun so you and you had mentioned so you found out that you had this entrepreneurial nature to you. So when you know yeah. when did you discover that? You did you eventually break off and start your own firm? I did. Um, this not this firm that I currently have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so I'm working at the labor and employment little silk stocking boutique firm. And again, this is pre big law crash. This is pre all that, right? So it's in the era of associates should kind of be seen and only heard when and if we summon you from your office. But beyond that, like do what you're told, do it well, don't have any typos and we won't feed you to the lions. That was, (laughs) that was the world. I mean, that's obviously an exaggeration, but not much, but I, um, I was sort of out and about in my community a little bit and I had some opportunities to bring some business in. And um, it was, look, it wasn't a ton of business, but it was something. It was two different companies that would have a significant amount of work. And I remember bringing the business in and there was not a lot of excitement about that. It was actually a little bit more like, I remember a meeting where I was told, and this is going back now, what was that, 2001 or two? So, I mean, we're going back 20 years, but I was told this is great and good job, but slow down a little, you have a lot to learn. And, you know, we, we just need to slow things down. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, why I'm making you money? Like, I don't understand. What do you mean? And, And that theme of you go too fast, slow down would become a theme later from some of the same people that I kind of, it took me a while to be like, wait a minute, people talking about, um, so I was thought that was really weird, but I was like, okay. And I, I just didn't quite get it. And now I get it right. The, the, that was fear. I mean, that was like big law, old guard, even yeah. though I wasn't at big law, it was the same thing. That was big law, old guard, making sure that they stayed what they were, because if you keep, you know, bringing, you know, if you keep, if you let somebody roll, if you don't have fear, you let them roll because you benefit from it too. But they didn't think that way. They just didn't. Right. They, they thought completely opposite. Um, so then I had some more business come in, but I knew they wouldn't take it because we were labor and employment 
management defense only. So mm -hmm. there was no room to do any kind of regular business litigation of any yeah. sort. We were not allowed, which also didn't make a lot of sense to me because I felt like that would spin off more labor and employment work. But again, I couldn't voice that to them. That would that would not have been gone over well. So I quit. <laughs> and this is in 2003. Well, you, you did voice it. You just did it a different way. <laughs> yeah, I was like, look, I'm going to open my own firm. And yeah. They were like, they told me I was crazy and all the things. And so in 2003, a mere two years in, I opened up my own firm with, and this is pre-social media, right? So I had two clients, not a lot of money. And um, that turned out to be the best thing I ever did, even though that also was a learning experience. So I opened up my own firm and it's actually successful, right? Like we're, we start making money, like we're doing really well. I had a partner. Uh, so while I was smart enough to sort of figure out the law school thing and I was really good at practicing law, um, I was not good at business because I had no business experience. Sure. And I was too arrogant and jerky and cocky to get some help, right? Because I knew everything now. Like, oh, I, I figured this out. Like I dug myself out of my hole after college. So I, I, I got all the answers and um, I had did not have all the answers. So I was terrible at managing that firm, although it probably would have worked. And then Hurricane Wilma hit okay. and it, it crushed Broward County, Florida. I mean, crushed us, but it really crushed our firm because there was a big office building in Fort Lauderdale. There weren't many at the time, but we were in one of them and it ripped a hole completely ripped open a big humongous hole in a side of the building. Oh man. Like, and this is pre being able to like remote work was not really a that, thing. That was not a thing. Yeah. That yeah. was not, although it was all it was internet and stuff, but no remote. Sure. Work. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it we was, had remote work, but it wasn't good. It was not a good way to be. Yeah. You had so, computers. It wasn't stone tablets. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was Oh five and yeah. we had no business interruption insurance and that, that then fostered like a, started a series of just terrible decisions on my part from a business standpoint. Um, so my partner at the time decided she wanted to go to Fort Myers and get married and have babies and do a bunch of different things. And I said, you know, I don't really want to do this alone. So I had a bunch of business that so that was never the issue. Um, so I went into uh, Fowler White as a partner at like 31 or 32 years old, which sort of worked out perfect. Yeah. And this was at the, this was around 07. That's when we closed the firm. And looking now that I look back, I was like, well, I probably could have kept that firm open, but it made sense to go in and kind of regroup um, and was able to take care of everything with the firm. I mean, nothing, there was nothing bad that happened. I mean, there were no debts. There was none of those things. It just wasn't, yeah. we should have had business interruption insurance, right? Like we yeah. should have been prepared for a whole bunch of things we weren't prepared for. And, you know, I was just a dumb kid still running around South Florida now with some money in my pocket, which is a terrible thing. <laughs> um, and just being stupid, although I was smart enough to buy some property and smart enough to get my first dog and did a couple oh, good things. Yeah, um, I still have my first dog. She's 16 now, actually. Oh. Um, so I went in to Fowler White as a partner, which I ended up getting that job, ironically, from some of the people that I had worked with at that original firm. I still stayed in touch with them. There was a, a one of the guys on my team was sort of like my mentor still and had become a really good friend. So I jumped to Fowler White and I was back in firm life, but it was a little different because I got to go in as a partner and had some business and, you know, 
working at a firm as a partner was dramatically different than my associate experience sure. initially. Although I got some some snickers and some leers because I was still I was a little younger to be a partner. It was just it was not not much, not dramatically, but a little bit younger. But you had the business to back it up. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's not like you came in and demanded to be partner and you didn't have anything to bring to the table. You, you had clients. Yeah. And, so- and, to be, and maybe I should clarify, because I'm sure there's lawyers that listen to this. I was not an equity partner. Right. I was partner in name only. So. Mm-hmm. I got to put that name on a business card. I got more money at the end of the year than people that were not partners, but by no means was I an equity partner. I didn't have that kind of business. But let's face it, like having that name on your card helps like for it to generate more business. You know, I just, some, some people. I think then it did. Yeah. I think back then it did for sure. Yeah. I think it it may have shifted now a a little bit away from that, but I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that title even for, for me was important from a marketing business standpoint, because you just yep. seem more established and you seem like, you know, I don't, I think that perception is kind of going away. Totally, and I'm, I'm but... sorry, I'm looking down only because I'm turning my air conditioning on. I'm not ignoring it. <laughs> but it's South Florida and it was 50 degrees this morning. So I had the heat on and now it's 70 degrees <laughs> and it's 78 in my room right now. So I'm just using my phone to turn the air conditioner on. I'm not like chat texting or anything like that. I got to make sure my heat is on. It's 32 degrees here. So where, where are you? <laughs> I'm in uh, Jersey in South Jersey. Right. Outside. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm in Fort Lauderdale. So I had to, yeah, that's I'm nice. like sweltering here. It's like, I, I got to turn the air on. <laughs> yeah. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. My mom, my mom, uh, you know, flies South to Siesta key for the, the winter okay. and she's already in Siesta and she's probably, you know, going to water aerobics this morning or something. Nice. <laughs> nice. So but, anyway, sorry yes. to interrupt you. I, I, I was no. looking down. And I didn't want you to think I was being rude. You weren't. Um, but <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that partner title does, you know, it does mean something at some, like, especially at the early st- like, I guess, mid stages of your career, when you're trying to build your, your business, I think a lot of potential clients, like when they're dealing with a partner and not an associate. I think it title. mattered then. Yeah. Now, well, I think it matters, I guess, how you sell yourself. I'm trying to think now, I, I don't think it matters as much with the, the difference in the world today. At the end of the day, like someone's hiring you, I, agree. I think it could yeah. become a problem. I think it, it becomes a problem if you're if you have a relationship with someone and you're trying to bring work in and you end up having to tell them, well, let me check with so and so on bringing this in. It could create a situation where they're like, what do you mean you have to check with somebody? Like, what are you talking about? But right. Yeah. You know, I, I think the 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 industry is as much as I rant about it is changing dramatically from that that traditional model, so to speak. And I think it's a positive though, too. Yeah, I think absolutely. It's, it's a positive. I think it's a shift. And I, I mean, I think I probably said this a bazillion times on this podcast, but I think COVID actually I kind of helped a little bit with that shift because it changes how we interact, how we market. It's not the same like old school mentality. Like we have to go to dinner. We have to like those things. I think some people are doing and some people are successful at doing. I'm, I personally am happy that we are kind of moving away from that and interacting in different, different ways. And there's, it, it's easier, it's more efficient. And I actually think you probably develop better relationships. I completely agree. I mean, 
when COVID, so when I opened MLE Law in 2019, it was pre-COVID, but the whole message behind my firm, even if you go to my website is, you know, this is not your father's law firm, right? So yeah. we we do things totally differently than than the marketplace traditionally does them. And one of those things was we were, you know, completely remote. And when COVID hit, for me, it was just another day at the office, even though the world was falling apart and all, yeah. yeah, all that was happening, but I had no interruption from a work standpoint. So yeah. I was able to, to leverage that because while other firms had to spend a lot of time scrambling to figure out how they're going to manage these bohemoths from a work from home standpoint, I was pushing COVID-19 content basically from the day it happened. Yeah. And that was, you know, through Facebook lives, Instagram live, LinkedIn, all of it. And I was able to leverage that tremendously. So I was a little bit ahead. Um, yeah. And it helped out. And I, I agree, like the whole let's go to and look, I love going to dinners and some clients still want to do that. And that's great. But it, it's not that's that's all changing. You know, that's it's not there yet. Um, you still have there, there are plenty of old guard lawyers out there who are not happy with the way things oh, are changing. Sure. But then I also think the whole industry is changing too. Like at some point people like younger people are moving up, older people are retiring. I think COVID pushed retirement for a lot of people yeah. too. Um, so like we were, we were very similar. Like I was four days remote, like pre COVID. And the only reason yeah. I went in one day a week was because I like to see people, you know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or I would go, exactly. I'd have my lunches planned. I'd like to see my, my, you know, colleagues in the office like that. That's why I went in. So it wasn't much different for us as a firm. It wasn't that different, you know, when right. everyone went remote. I mean, there's always people though, who like to work, work in the office and they are more productive when they go into the office. I am not one of those people. I like to right. be home. I like to be in my space. I don't want to waste time commuting anywhere. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Me too. Um, and that so, was my point. I was like, yeah. why am I driving an hour south? And this doesn't make any sense. But I couldn't, you know, I ended up at a, another firm before I opened this firm. So it was two law firms. And um, I used to tell them they, they were like doing a whole office remodel. And, you know, they obviously and there I was an equity partner. And I was like, well, listen, I don't want an office. I'd rather you the money that you're going to spend on me for an office. I'd rather just pocket that. So I'll just have a permanent home office. Yeah. And they kind of flipped out. <laughs> I was like, what, are, what, are, what do you, what, how am I not making you people understand? Like, listen, you'll spend less money on your overhead and I'm spending an hour to two hours a day commuting. That doesn't include having to get up, clean up, take care of my dogs, get like, that's all time that can be spent doing things that benefit the collective here from an mm -hmm. earning money. And they could not, they could not wrap their heads around it. They just couldn't. They just yeah. were very much like you have to be here because it fosters community and it fosters collaboration. And mm -hmm. I was like, no, it doesn't. I was like, <laughs> we, we talk on the phone. Like, what are you talking about? And they couldn't get it. They just couldn't get it. And even today, like I have some space that I go to, you know, like obviously you don't want to be home constantly. And my buddy and I are looking into buying a building. And even when I have to do that, I'm like, you know, it, it takes, you know, you got to get ready, right? You got to clean up and you got to, you know, you got to do all the things and there's a time crunch. But if you're only doing it like once or twice a week, it's very, it's dramatically different. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it is nice to like put on your, you know, adult yeah, clothes. Absolutely. And... <laughs> but I, I will say, I mean, I don't know what the Florida courts are like, but I, 
you know, I'm, my practice is in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and I very much appreciate the, the move away from the in-person appearances for things that oh don't truly matter to be in yes. person for. We're doing it too. So we're Zoom for just, well, right now we're Zoom for everything minus jury trials. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have an in-person jury trial. I think that's going to go in March. So that'll be fun. But otherwise we're Zoom for everything. And I love it. I, I mean, I've taken all my depots by Zoom. I actually don't know from a depot standpoint, I don't think I'm going to go back to in-person depots. It kind of makes no sense, right? Because sharing all the documents electronically, it's just so much easier. Yeah. Um, but we're doing everything by Zoom. So we have these big like calendar calls or motion calendar. I'm sure yeah. you have something similar. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you put your shirt and for men, you know, put the suit on, right? But I have my basketball shorts underneath <laughs> and I sit here and I, I do other stuff and then they call it and you do your thing and you, you're, I mean, it's great. It's great. And I don't think we'll go back. To yeah, the other I, way. I will say some things I've found to be effective in person. Like I, I recently, like I think it was a few weeks ago, I had an in-person mediation. And for that particular case, I wanted that mediation to be in person because I wanted to actually the, the injuries of the plaintiff were um, visual. So I wanted to see those injuries in person. Right. And I wanted the mediator to see her in person. And, but that was a choice. Like that was a discussion like, Hey, I think we should do this in person. Now I've yeah. done plenty of successful mediations on zoom and they are successful, but you know, and, or some, like I have a, like when I have arguments on a summary judgment motion, I prefer those to be in person, but sometimes it's usually not my call or it's never my call. That's the court's call. Yeah. <laughs> mediation. I don't mind. And I like some mediations I think are better in person. Others I think could be done by zoom. Uh, it just depends on, on what the situation is. I had one in New York city that I think looking back would have been better on in person, but the other side wouldn't do it. So we were stuck with what we had. Uh, Some arguments I prefer to do in person for sure. So summary judgment, definitely being one of those. Unfortunately, we just can't right now. So we're stuck with what we've got, but we'll see. I'll, I mean, I'll let you know how the jury trial goes because that's going to go. (laughs) Yeah. I I am curious. I, I, we had in New Jersey last year, like they were pushing in-person jury trials. Um, and I mean, I think some are going, I just think a lot most are settling before they have to go yeah. anywhere. I don't think we're settling. We're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a summary judgment pending, so that's a whole separate conversation, but yeah, I, I think, um, I, I like the zoom stuff. I really do. Like I said, the depots in particular, I'm a huge fan. It makes life a lot easier. So, sure. you know, so when you, when you found it, you, MLE, MLE law, like, was it just you or did you, were, did you have someone else to start it up with you? No, it's just me. And it's really still just me. I think okay. I said we earlier, but there really is no, we I'm the we. <laughs> it's you and your multiple personalities. Just come right, together. Yeah. <laughs> Some would say there are multiple personalities. Um, I, I didn't even intend to go back out on my own. I mean, that's a whole separate conversation, but I did, I did found it on my own. And um, I mean, I guess you could kind of say I did it with my buddy, although he has his own practice, but we were, I, I my best friend from law school, who I told you about earlier, I mentioned is that we became really close over the years as lawyers. He went to go work for kind of a, a well-known Miami beach boutique firm. I went to my labor and employment firm. And then he kind of quickly rose through the ranks there at that firm and was an owner he went out on his own in 07. I was back in like as a traditional partner, but we were always in touch and we were trying to work together. So I tried to bring him into my prior firm. 
Okay. Cause he had, you know, a really significant book of business, but again, we ran up against this old guard and, um, you know, they were ultimately fearful that if he came in, we would kind of be our own little unit doing our own thing. And the other people in South Florida, which was the team I had worked with, ironically, from my original firm, if that makes sense, I ended up going back to work with the same people that hired me. They, they, they did their own thing over the years together and ended up at this mid-sized firm in Florida. So I, I jumped to them in 2012 and in 2000. 17 or 18, I tried to bring my buddy into that firm. Yeah. And what ended up happening was they were tremendously fearful that uh, if he came in, he and I would sort of form this little unit and kind of run amok and they wouldn't be able to control us, which was (laughs) silly, ridiculous. Yeah. The only thing we would have been running amok on is making tons of money for everybody. Right. And they, they couldn't see that and didn't get it. And so that fell apart. And then some other stuff happened at that firm. Um, there was a couple, there was a big client that kind of wanted to make a change, but wanted to still work with me. And there was a whole bunch of stuff happening that always happens with lawyers. Yeah. So I went to my buddy and he was like, now's the time. He's like, and he said to me, I remember I had this, I called him. I was like, look, I got to talk. There's some stuff going down and I'm not sure how to play it. I'm not sure what to do. And I need some advice. Cause I was no longer this arrogant, dumb kid who thought he knew everything. Right. I mean, You've grown up I, a little bit. I'd like to think I evolved. <laughs> right. And so we have a sit down and um, he says, look, now's the time to do it. He's like, I was starting to build my social media presence. I was finally I was that. And that was not sitting well with my prior firm. They were not thrilled. I was doing my first podcast. They were not thrilled with that either. I mean, they were I was doing it because they really couldn't stop me, but they were not happy. Yeah. There were some people there from really way back in the day that just couldn't they were upset about my LinkedIn videos. They were just all of it. Um, and he said, look, uh, you can use my office, use my assistant. I'm going to bring you in on all these cases. Go, let's do this now. And there was a big client that wanted me to do it. So to go with them. So I, I thought about it for a night and I consulted my family, which consisted of at the time, one dog. <laughs> So what do you think, Mac? Should we do this? She looked up at me and tilted her head, put her ears up, which I took to mean she was saying, sure, go for it. I'll support you. Um, and I called my buddy up. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And I did. And that was it. It was really it- no pre-planning. Well, first of all, good for you. But <laughs> also, isn't it funny the the visceral reactions people have to putting things out there on social media in the business world. Wow. Yes. It, we can talk about that. We <laughs> <laughs> talk a lot. I'll, I, and I don't mean to, I'll, I'll give you an example. So one of the problems that I had at this firm was they had a PR firm, right? Internally at the firm. And I would beg these people to come down and to uh, work with me. Cause I was like, I, I, I want to do everything. Like I want to do all the things and they would never come down and work. They blow me off constantly. And finally I found out the reason they blew me off is because they had a non-compete. They were doing PR for another labor and employment firm. And so they could not help our group yeah. at the firm. Yeah. The firm I was with did other things, which kind of sent me through the roof. I was like, what, what are we doing here now to my former firm's credit? They were like, you're right. Go hire a PR firm. Well, you, you can go do it, do the interviews, just get the costs cleared. So they, there was a problem. I brought it to their attention. They solved it. 
absolute complete credit for that. So I get this PR firm. Now, remember, I'm a labor lawyer, right? And I love sports. So sports and labor law go hand in hand, right? Because unions and leagues and all that stuff. It's like, it's just such fodder for great content. And I post about that on LinkedIn all the time. Yeah. And Instagram and everywhere else. So this was right around the time of Colin Kaepernick and the kneeling and all that stuff. Right. And I, so we hired the new PR firm and Kaepernick sues the National Football League, alleging collusion under the National Labor Relations Act. Right. The whole idea being that the owners got together and said, nobody hire him because of his political beliefs. That's collusion. It would ultimately be a labor law violation. Right. Mm hmm. So I get an interview with the New York Daily News through the PR firm, who I still use today for my firm, um, DeRay and Company, if anybody needs really good PR, they're the best. And um, I'm asked to comment on the legal, like the legal challenge. So as a labor lawyer, as a, you know, at that time or whatever, 16, 17 year labor lawyer, whatever it is, I'm asked to comment on, do I think the claim has legs, right? What do I think? Not about politics, not about what I think about kneeling or any of those. Just do you think this guy's got a case? Sure. And so I give my comments about what you need to do to prove up collusion, what he's going to have to find in discovery, if I think there's something there or not. And I don't even remember where I came down on that. And the article comes out and that's exactly what's in the article. The reporter quotes me and it's an analysis, but it's a big story and it's a big thing. And the article like catches fire and trends on Twitter and trends on Google. And it's like a big deal. It's my first piece of national press. And it was great. My LinkedIn inbox was full and I was getting all these texts from people. It was great. Yeah, it was awesome. Public and they, they have the firm's website in there. I mean, it's great, right? They backlink the firm. It's mm -hmm. great. Yeah, I got, I got like chewed out for that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, they were upset. And they said to me, you know, we would prefer you not comment on controversial issues because we're like very conservative and traditional. And they mean they don't mean conservative politically. They meant conservative, like we keep things close to the vest. Yes, sure. And I was like, they're like, you know, you can comment on stuff, but not on anything that's like controversial. I said, so <laughs> what you mean is I can comment on nothing. Well, no, because like, I'm sure there's like union stuff going on. I said, listen to me. Nobody gives. Can I swear on this or no? Oh, yeah. People. Swear okay. on. I was like, nobody gives a <laughs> shit about the dock workers strike in some wherever town where the union is like fighting for better. Like nobody cares about that in the yeah. national media. I'm not saying that doesn't matter to those people, but like that's not a national story. I said, and by the way, did you read the article that I was quoted? It, it's a legal analysis. And what I came to find out was that some of my fellow partners didn't like that. They didn't read the article and they thought I took a political stand, which I did not do. Yeah. And they were pissed that we were even associated with this controversy, which I thought was ridiculous. Um, and so then I did squarely in your space. Oh, too. my God. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was like people adverse to like getting business. Like, what's wrong with you? And then I did um, my PR firm. This was now during the Me Too era, mm -hmm. got me an editorial in, I want to say the Miami Herald, but it could have been the Daily Business Review, uh, to comment on, as a labor and employment lawyer, my thoughts on the zero tolerance policies that were coming into existence during Me Too. And that kind of stemmed from something I had talked about in another paper 
you know, the New York Mets had a situation where they fired a guy. They fired two people, I think, for like having an inappropriate conversation with each other that was sort of surreptitiously recorded by by somebody. And that that they had and they fired these guys under the auspices of a, of a zero tolerance policy. Mm-hmm. So I write this article about why I think zero tolerance policies in the Me Too era are a mistake. Not that you shouldn't take this stuff very, very seriously. But my analogy, I believe, in the article was like, look, the speed limit says 55. But if you go 56, that's not the same as going 90. And the same yeah. thing is for any kind of sex harassment, like an off color joke made because you're just dumb and don't know how to read the room is not the same as trying to rape somebody like it's not the same. And that article catches fire and it's great. And so I do a video on LinkedIn from my car while driving. (laughs) As as you know, people do that all the time. It's like a great time (laughs) and it gets a bunch of traction on LinkedIn. I get a phone call and I'm essentially bitched out because some of my partners complained that I was doing a video while driving. And that demonstrates that I and the firm that I'm associated with don't care about the law. I was like, what are you talking about? And I said to the person delivering this message, I was like, you are running a multi-million dollar law firm. And this is what you're spending your time on calling me about this. It was absurd. It was absurdity. It was absurdity. And um, look, at the end of the day, and I I wrote about this when I joined, when I opened my own firm, I wrote a long article on LinkedIn about why um, after I had earned the most money ever in my career, I promptly quit and opened my firm. And I will say, and and this is very important. It's okay for my prior employer or any employer to have all of those beliefs and all of those rules, for sure. That's their world. They were the people in charge. I was not in charge. And so it was either live. And that's why I left because it was either live under that rubric or I would constantly be fighting something that I wasn't going to win. So it was either deal with it because that's what you have to deal with when you work for someone or do your own thing and do it the way you think it should be done. So it's not that their rules were wrong. I, I don't mean to say that, although I think it's, I mean, I think it was a mistake, but whatever. It's just that if you can't, if you don't want to do that, you got to go out on your own. And I think that's why you're seeing great lawyers. Um, I'm not saying I'm a great lawyer, but I know other great lawyers that could be with firms that are not because of situations similar to that, where they just, they want to push content. They want to be much more open about what they do. And these firms are not, they're not about that. That there's just, there is, there is this feeling in the industry. We should sort of be seen, but not heard. Now it's changing, but it's still very regulated. Like, you know, I've talked with partners at firms and, you know, they have teams that help them very like curate their content and everything's got to be, I mean, look, uh, the world is very different now. And what I find super interesting, I mean, I know this is a very long winded answer, but one of the other problems was they wanted, they, I was posting on Instagram and I was posting all this stuff. So they basically were like, look, you have to have your content reviewed before you post it because you're posting on behalf of us and we need to review it. And I thought about that. I was like, you know, it's pretty interesting. Nobody reviews my cases. Right. <laughs> right. right. Like, oh, you practice law. We don't care. Do that. You're, you run your cases. How they always say, you run your cases how you want to run your cases. Just, you know, just 
don't make any mistakes. Okay, fine. And that's where you can cause millions of dollars of damage. But oh, you can put something on Instagram. That's got to go through like six right. people. <laughs> By the time it got through the six people, it was stale. It was. It makes no sense. Yeah. And also like with, with the social media channels, a lot of it's like you, you, you make your content and like, it's either you, you want to get it out just then, you know, like it, it makes sense to put your content out right when you make it. And ha- once you get it reviewed and then someone else chimes in and now it's no longer your voice and it's the, the message yeah. is always the same. And it's got to be timely, right? Like it's got to be timely. So sometimes you just think about an idea and it hits you and you're like, oh my God, this would be great. And if you have to have it reviewed by 80 people or whatever, it's not timely. Right. Now it's stale. The idea is gone. And that's can happen within right. hours. Yeah. So sure. um, all of that, I don't even know if you asked me why I left, but all of that combined into how I ended up where I am today. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't remember what the question was, but I like the answer. So yeah. let's stick with it. <laughs> so I, you know, we're almost out of time. I didn't want to run out of time before talking about your, your podcast because oh. I, because you know, I, how was it that you, I mean, it's not surprising to me after talking to you why you have a podcast and how you came to that. Um, but I'm interested to hear in like your, your process going in. Cause by way of background, like this podcast, I didn't start this podcast. My managing partner started this podcast and I thought she was crazy. And I told her, like, I was like, who is going to listen to this? You know, right. who wants to listen to a legal podcast. Um, and then she was like, and it's on video. I was like, oh God, and who's going to watch it? Like, this is crazy. And then fast forward, you know, now I'm hosting the podcast because I realized like for me, this was such a good creative outlet for me. And I yeah. love doing it. Like absolutely love doing it, which I was such a naysayer, you know, back in, you know, September of 2019 when I thought this was such a dumb idea. And now, you know, I record one or two episodes a week. So, you know, so I'm curious to hear your, your thought process going in. Hey, look, a lot of people told me in my podcasts, both of them were dumb ideas. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know if they still say that, but um, so I actually started podcasting, I think, before podcast before everyone had a podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was I was on this train early. I, I used to go to these spring training games with a lawyer buddy of mine and we would have all these sports debates. And I was like, we should just do a podcast. He was like, what? I was like, yeah, we do podcast. He's like, a podcast? I was like, yeah, they have these things called podcasts. And like, you talk and you put it on, you put it out and people listen. And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be super cool. We're gonna do it. And that was, I don't know, 17, 16, 17, or eight, I don't know, somewhere around there. It was before, I can mark it by before, within the, before the Patriots went to Super Bowl 52. That's how I mark it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like about a year before that. So. I buy, I do no research. Um, I figure how hard could it be? Buy some microphones, stick them into the computer and record. Like it can't be that difficult. So I go buy some microphones at Best Buy, figuring I know exactly what I'm doing because I'm not really a, when I have an idea and I want to execute, I don't spend too much time quote unquote planning. I mean, I do, don't misunderstand me, but I think you can get paralyzed by analysis. Like sometimes you just got to go. Correct. We go record this episode and it's terrible and I put it out anyway. And it's awful. It's terrible <laughs> audio. It's God awful. It's like the worst thing ever. And like, I create this logo that's terrible and I, it's just all bad, but I quickly learn how bad it is. And that prompts me to figure out how to like down cut audio. Like I do for my show, I do all the mixing, 
all the intros, outros, I do it all myself. I learned how to do all that um, over a weekend. And so I ended up putting out a bunch of shows with my buddy, just kind of talking sports and through that met a few people in the sports world. And then um, that so it had nothing to do with my law practice. And then somebody that I have trusted over the years was telling me, he's like, you know, the, the thing is, Mike, he's like, give this podcast and people are listening to it. Not 20, 30,000 people, but whatever, there's people listening. He's like, but you're not connecting it to your business, right? And this was still when I was at my old law firm. He's like, you got to connect the two. That's what you got to do. You got to connect them. So I thought about that and it made a lot of sense. Right. So that podcast with my buddy ended because I didn't want to just talk about sports every week. That's like a dime a dozen thing. And that kind of ran its course. And we had a great time doing it. So I started this second show, which is now the quarter four podcast, mm -hmm. where I would go interview people and speak specifically about the intersection between business and sports and tailored it more to what I'm doing. So yeah. and that's gotten me in the room with some pretty amazing people in the world of sports and business that I don't think I ever would have met. But for the show, and it's a great marketing arm of my law firm, you know, the shows on the law firm website. And um, that's how it started. And that's now it's still going. Now, look, everybody has a podcast now. So <laughs> um, it's much harder for me to get guests, right? Because I was getting some of these guests because they didn't have a lot of places to go. And I sort of offered this sort of easy thing. Now, most of them either have their own show or they can yeah. go on ES. You know, there's a podcast for everything now. So I might pivot it a little bit to more law stuff. Um kind of like what you guys are doing. Yeah. We'll yeah. That's the beauty but, of it. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, you can. Like we've evolved too. I yeah. mean, we, we've changed over time. I I've experimented with other things in the mix that didn't work or, you know, it just, it is, you know, it's a process to going, going through it and mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you learn as you, you, as you go, you know, and there, I think there was a time like a year ago, I felt like this podcast was a little lost. Like we were all over the place. Now we're like in a different like we've pivoted a little bit and you just have to be able to do that. Just like you have to be able to do that in, in business and how, you know, how you run your, your practice. I'm sure you've had to yeah. pivot. Always, always pivoting and always saying to myself, well, if it doesn't work, that's okay. Like I'll try something different. Like, you know, I went for a few months without a guest because I was basically slammed at work and I panicked a little bit and I was like, wait a minute, why am I panicking? Like it's my show. Like it's okay if there hasn't been a guest, like, what am I panicking about? I get it. And then, you know, I put out an episode a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. um, I think podcasting's fun. Most importantly, for me, at least I enjoy it. I enjoy playing with the audio and mixing in fun little things. And um, I enjoy conversations like this that we know other people are going to listen to. Hopefully, you know, that provides some value to somebody. It's a great medium yes. to get your voice out there and to talk about issues like what we've talked about in our industry, you know, with social media and partnership and all sorts of great stuff. But yeah, yeah. people kind of snickered when I did it for sure. They were like, what? Um, yeah. I mean, I, and I, that's okay. I was a snickerer. So yeah. <laughs> and, now, and now look at me, but I mean, I had similar thing, like with when we started um, really pushing content on LinkedIn and video content, I mean, there were a lot of negative people. A lot of people said negative things. Like, why, why would you do that? It's so stupid. You know, and I was hesitant too, because I was hesitant for myself. It took me probably 45 minutes to film my first one minute video because I had to retake it a bazillion times. Yeah. Um, 
But then once you got comfortable, I was like, why, why do I care? I'm not, right. you know, like, am I offending anybody? If I am, I'm not, I, I'm not saying anything that I don't believe in. So if right. I'm offending them by that, I then sorry, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, am I offending you by like putting myself out there? And I think that's like a lot of people, I think they, they are very negative about it because they wouldn't do it them, themselves. So I completely agree. Look, I think they shit on it because they're afraid. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. They're afraid and they're not celebratory of other people doing things that are great. Right. So like when I look at other lawyers, you know, I look at a lot of other lawyers content um, that are doing it better than I'm doing it. Right. I think anyway. And I get a lot of lawyers that come to me about putting out content that tell me, oh, my God, you do all this great content. That's fine. But then I go and look at other lawyers and I'm like, wow, they've got it together. But I'm not I don't get jealous of that or fearful. I look at that. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? What, what are they doing that I can do? Because what they're doing is helpful to me. So I'm going to try to emulate or take bits and pieces from whatever they're doing. Like, But the people that are sort of like shitting on those of us out there putting content, those of us pushing this system to change those of us saying like, look, lawyers do not have to be seen, but not heard. We should be heard. We should be talking about things going on. We should be putting out content, audio, video, whatever. We should be making fun of ourselves, which I do in my little, this is MLE law video series where I kind of mock the, this is sports center commercials. People that, that think that's bad, they're certainly entitled to that, but let's be real. That's coming from a place of fear. That's coming from a place of, I don't like it because I wouldn't do it. I don't like it because I recognize this is the trend. This is what people are paying attention to. And the biggest criticism I always used to get, and this happened a lot um, before I went out on my own was, well, what business are you really going to get from that? And now I'm out giving seminars about how you get business right. from content, right? So Exactly. You know. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, you know, I mean, and I, I can say, I, I sat in the other side being like, oh, like, this is so stupid. Why, like, why would I do this? You know? And then, but I realized I was scared for myself. Like I was worried yeah. about what people might say or judge or whatever. And then I quickly realized that like, it was silly for me to waste time and energy worrying about that. And then when I saw how it was like working for me and then like, especially even this podcast, like I love having people on and talking to them just like I'm talking to you. And I find my guests love to come on and talk. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then people love to listen to them talk. So I'm like, what's wrong with any of this? So, <laughs> I mean, we all carry a little narcissism with us, right? Like we're, yeah. we all want to hear ourselves talk a little bit. I mean, I, I freely admit that. And this is a great avenue for great medium for it. And so I, I celebrate people that are putting out content and I don't, I don't shit on anybody's content. You know, I think everybody that's doing it, it's hard to do. Once you start doing it, you have to feed the machine. You can't, yeah. it yeah. doesn't work if you do it once a week, you got to keep doing it. And yes. it's not easy because you do have people like we sort of talked about offline. People are going to troll you a little bit and yeah. you're going to get some of that. So you got to have some thick skin. But at the end of the day, if you don't want to be a dinosaur in this business, you have to be putting content out. It's yeah. Just that and simple. And I think that's like the, I mean, the underlying theme to this is, you know, the, the legal world is evolving and, you know, we have to evolve with it and let, or you just get stuck behind. 
and you have to decide where you want to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's some fight with that evolution for sure. sure. I still think the old guard doesn't like this, um, but that's okay. They don't have to. No. <laughs> they should recognize that some of the people that would have hired them are going to hire the people that they're seeing online now, much yeah. more so than um, somebody who is behind a desk somewhere in an office somewhere that's not heard of. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing, you know, your, your background story. I think, Thanks. um, why don't you like let our listeners know where they can find, find you and, you know, tune into your podcast, get your content and they find you on Instagram and TikTok yeah. and everywhere. So let them know. Thanks. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you having me. This was uh, tons of fun and I really enjoyed it. So if anybody wants is wants to follow what I'm doing, um, you can find me on link on, on Instagram, on LinkedIn by my name, Michael Elkins and MLE law is also on LinkedIn. And then Instagram is at Melkins one, the number one, and then at MLE underscore law, although the Melkins one account is the primary account, Twitter at Melkins three, one, one, seven, five. Yeah. Three, one, one, seven, five. And TikTok is at Melkins one. And then my website is right there. Um, <laughs> MLE law yeah, I have to say, I didn't even scratch, like I had, I was actually going to get into substantive stuff, but I, I actually just <laughs> love, <laughs> I had, I had some stuff like real, like legal stuff, but I'm like, oh, ah, we don't need that. Nobody wants to hear that anyway. <laughs> we could talk about that next time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> nobody wants but, to hear boring legal stuff anyway. They want the, they want the gossip. I know. I agree. Um, so, but thank you so much for, for coming on and for, you know, all, um, you know, my listeners out there, you know, if you like what you hear, always subscribe to the defense of arrest on Apple podcasts, and you can find us on our new YouTube channel, uh, TDNR podcast. So keep listening in. Oh, can I plug my pod real quick? I think. I oh yeah, it do it. Yeah. It's uh, called the quarter four podcast, where we cover the intersection between business and sports by talking to some of the most influential people in the industry and finding out their tools for success. And that's on Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. Yes. So make sure you tune in.